Welcome to Strategy Talk, where the editors and contributors of Strategy Page discuss current events and other military-related topics with a splash of history. I'm your host, Dan Masterson. Joining us today is Jim Dunnigan, editor of Strategy Page, well-known military author and acknowledged pioneer and innovator in board war games. Also joining us today is Austin Bay, associate editor of Strategy Page, military author, columnist, and retired Colonel, U.S. Army Reserves. Welcome, Austin and Jim. Of course, the big news right now is the, the coup in Russia. Jim, what do you think prompted this? Well, it wasn't really a coup against Putin. Yevgeny, uh, you know, uh, that, that he, he said as much that he really wanted to go after the, uh, the henchmen, as it were the generals and the uh, Ministry of Defense, whom he felt fed Putin uh, incorrect information about invading uh, Ukraine in the first place and then mismanaging the uh, fighting there uh, to basically make it unwinnable. Uh, and now Putin disagrees with that, but what's he going to do? You know, he, he really he thinks he needs a Perosian because Perosian still has his mercenaries. Perosian's men were the most effective in Ukraine. Uh, so you don't want to compound any of the errors you're being accused of by getting rid of your most offensive, your most effective commander. It's hard to tell. You know, it's the old riddle wrapped in a migma, you know, and all that nonsense about Russia. Who can, who can, who can explain what is actually going on there? Austin, can you explain it? Well, I, I, I can explain uh, some things that that, that were uh, documented by uh, self phones observers, uh, it, 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 electronic intelligence, civilian satellites. There were at least two uh, 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 combat actions uh, involving Wagner on one side and uh, Russian forces inside Russia. On the other side. Now it seems taking over Rostov with works peaceful, uh, and it's mostly peaceful protest. And I, I guess you could say that uh, at least in Rostov. But then when that uh, column started up the highway towards Moscow, uh, there was a a fight that uh, for the the various. Shot down at least, uh, well, reports vary on there, two to five Russian uh, aircraft. They also shot down, I was unclear where this occurred, a command and control uh, aircraft uh, that, uh, you know, carrying electronics and can be an airborne uh, type uh, headquarters. I haven't read any uh, complete description of how that uh, uh, that occurred uh, for all I know it maybe it was shot up on a on a uh, airfield so there there was there were at least two small battles the other thing that seems confirmed seen as Jim says an enigma uh, uh, that's uh, wrapped in uh, a uh, most curious situation but they once, once they got on the highway, they didn't meet uh, any serious opposition. Uh, there just wasn't any, apparently. 
And the only time they they were turned around, and this is where you get into the the uh, the critique from uh, observers, analysts, uh, Twitterites uh, that that say it was all a conspiracy by uh, Putin and Prigozhin, is that they turn around and go back, and Prigozhin uh, is allowed to remain alive. <laughs> the Wagner mercenaries had already been told that, that if they were going to continue, uh, they were going to have to sign contracts and join the uh, uh, fight with the Russian army. That, that ticked uh, Rogozov off. It may have been one of the things that pushed him to the uh, to decide that he was going to launch this attack to, as Jim said, uh, remove incompetent generals and senior uh, Ministry of Defense officials that he regarded as uh, in, incompetent. Uh, as he regarded also as undermining uh, the his own his Wagner forces uh, efforts uh, in, in Ukraine, and the uh, president of Belarus was at least nominally the fellow who negotiated the deal so that uh, Prigozhin could uh, keep his life and then go into exile in Belarus, and uh, also bring some of the uh, mercenaries with. Well, the next thing, and I, I'm, I'm relying on uh, wire service reports that uh, for this kind uh, wire service, Reuters, uh, AFP, Asian Foreign Press, and and the like, and a couple of things in the Wall Street Journal, and I will also add the Daily Mail of the uh, British tabloid, which is it's taking its reports mostly from wire service, but I'm convinced the Daily Mail has a, an MI6 contact, uh, just like the London Times and the, and the Telegraph Telegraph do, so that uh, that there were going to be somewhere between six and 8,000 Wagner mercenaries uh, stationed in Belarus. And this is after uh, we're being told that the uh, that Wagner is going to be absorbed into the, uh, into the Russian army. And uh, when last heard from, the president of Belarus uh, said that uh, Prigozhin had gone to St. Petersburg, where he's from, uh, uh, to uh, pick up some of his uh, belongings, supposedly. But we also learned that the Russian security, domestic security, had raided his uh, mansion in St. Petersburg and found gold and weapons and uh, a lot of wigs. Uh, Dan, there, there were a number of wigs that uh, apparently they're wigs for a bald man and Pergosin is, uh, is bald, uh, at least in most of the photos I've seen. I mean, when he's uh, out uh, wearing has his helmet off or uh, a hat off, but the uh, Russian press made a lot out of finding wigs at Pergosin's mansion in uh, St. Petersburg. So this is where we're left, is that most of Putin's Opponents, uh, if they're not immediately liquidated, sometime within the next six to twelve months, they fall off of a building, someplace, or suffer a terrible convulsion that usually is traced to poison. Uh, at the same time, it appears, and I think John was suggesting this, that uh, Putin needs Prigozhin, and uh, it needs him, needs his forces. What are their 
they're not replaceable by, well, they could be replaceable, but it would, the Russians would lose complete plausible deniability if they didn't have Wagner forces in the Central African Republic. And uh, you know, they're among one of the things they're involved in is uh, uh, resource stealing resources. And, uh, you know, that's diamonds, gold, also of uh, minerals, and not just from a car, but from uh, other uh, uh, Central African uh, uh, nations as well. Uh, it's uh, it, it's a form of of power that uh, Putin can exercise directly through Pergosa. So, I, was it a fake? Parts of it aren't fake. Uh, it is peculiar that Pergosa is still alive. Yeah, he was supposed to have flown to uh, St. Petersburg uh, to check on his assets, maybe get some of them back. Uh, and then he flew back to Belarus. Now, he still has those 8,000 or so uh, troops loyal to him. Uh, whether or not they're going to get paid you know, remains to be seen. But uh, they could make an attack on uh, Ukraine uh, straight from Belarus, which would take them very close to Kiev. Uh, now, again... You know, nobody knows exactly what, what's going to happen next, but that's how the scenario is shaping up. Uh, Putin is really running out of options. Uh, his, uh, his, his invasion of, uh, of uh, Ukraine was apparently uh, not working out as he intended. He's now insisting that it's, he's going to keep at it you know, forever. He's going to basically outlast the uh, NATO and uh, the Ukrainians by never giving up. Course he's losing. I mean, the Ukrainian offensive is still rolling on. They're doing it methodically, uh, and uh, they continue to make progress. Uh, the Russian troops in the uh, in Ukraine uh, turned out are not resisting very stoutly, if at all, because some of them, well, a lot of them apparently, haven't been relieved in almost a year. Uh, so they've taken losses, you know, normal losses in a, in a combat zone. Uh, but they're, they're basically their the morale is rock bottom, which doesn't help. Uh, so, you know, uh, Brozhin is the only guy who could basically, uh, you know, uh, uh, motivate people uh, to put up a resistance. Otherwise, you know, the Ukrainians are going to win. Now, it's going to take them a while, but they're making progress. The Russians aren't. Uh, you know, the, the, uh, Putin is basically running out of money. He's running out of people who are willing to fight in, uh, in Ukraine. And he's basically running out of support in Russia. Uh, now, Russians are backing him because uh, that's what you do. You know, they, they admire a strong leader, be it Stalin or Tsar. Uh, and uh, if there's uh, any any chance of progress, it's going to be, you know, leveraging this, this unthinking support from Russia uh, to keep the war going. Eventually, you know, that's going to run out of steam because, like I say, uh, the Ukrainians are winning... Uh, the uh, uh, NATO is continuing to support him and supply them. Uh, 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 Putin tried any number of schemes to uh, discourage, you know, NATO from uh, continuing to pour billions of dollars in, in munitions and weapons uh, to Ukraine, and uh, you know it's an endurance contest which the Russians are losing at the moment. Austin, what was told the Dan? I'll pick up on that. Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. I, I, I was going to say that uh, I call attention to that. Well, the uh, 
post we had uh, in the last week uh, about the, I think it was the other uh, gems of how to make war armor armor update about uh, how the Ukrainian army is moving at a very deliberate and slow pace because of the obstacles and I anti tank mines. Uh, and the like. I I used that leveraged it for uh, my uh, my column this week, but pointed out that one of the things, the one reason that it's slow and you're not seeing a, an armor breakthrough, uh, you know, classic uh, type that you saw in you know, Desert Storm or even in uh, Operation uh, Iraqi Freedom and the like, is uh, no air power. Uh, no close air support or uh, battlefield air interdiction uh, because uh, the Ukrainians don't uh, have an air force. And the uh, the West, I, I, I blame NATO, but it was the United States that, uh, uh, that stopped uh, at least two, I think it may have been three uh, other NATO members from uh, transferring uh, MiG-29s and some other older uh, Russian-type uh, aircraft, or even uh, some early Model F-16s, because uh, they were, the Biden administration said they were concerned that Russia might react, Putin might react, and we tell an escalation to a, a, a larger a larger war. But now that decision has been made, we discussed it a, a few strategy talks ago about getting F-16s. If you want to see the, the classic rapid armor mechanized infantry combined arms attack, uh, you're going to have air support. The Germans used uh, uh, close air support as very mobile artillery in the uh, initial blitzkrieg operations in Poland and in, in the uh, Battle of France. And the, the, you know, it's it's not it's not myth what uh, P-47s and Typhoons and P-51s did for uh, Third Army when it was uh, on its uh, breakout from St. Well, sweeping through France, which is the American uh, blitzkrieg, you know, the Patton, uh, Patton breakout. Uh, Ukraine doesn't have that. It's got uh, drones that can do certain things uh, and attack uh, and, and, and take out the uh, at least suppress Russian defensive position and knock out Russian vehicles when they're identified. But you don't, they don't have the robustness of what you see with a, you know, a, a Air Force supporting a, a mechanized army. And that's the, one of the other reasons that the Ukraine's having to proceed, and I'm using the word deliberately, uh, very careful and be meticulous about it. And that particular uh, uh, update talks about how, you know, mobility kills. Uh, that's what stops a, a rapid armor uh, breakout, uh, you know, the blow off the tracks. Uh, I recommend the, that uh, particular post to all of the listeners if they haven't read it. And you can read my column this week that points out the other material about uh, needing close air support. One thing that stopped the Russians from using their superior aircraft superiority to have more aircraft is the effect of anti-aircraft weapons we've sent to Ukraine. Now, the Russians have noted that these, you know, mainly the NASAMs and the uh, the IRST, which is a, a European version of NASAMs, these have been very effective in knocking down missiles. 
uh, and they could obviously be effective against aircraft. Now, they have shot down some aircraft, some Russian aircraft, inside of Russia, and that's basically, uh, you know, made the Russians even less eager to get into an air battle because, you know, their aircraft are the ones going up against all the anti-aircraft systems uh, inside of Ukraine. Uh, the Russian anti-aircraft systems have not been very numerous or effective when they were present. Uh, and the Russians are finding that out the hard way. Uh, that's basically valuable information if they, if they uh, intend to do any future wars. But the big problem is with Russia is they're poor. Uh, there, for example, they're trying to set up a, a, a aircraft manufacturing, a warplane manufacturing operation to produce 200 aircraft a year. They can't do it. I mean, they're trying, uh, but they haven't got the resources. They haven't got access to key components. A lot of these have to come from the West. Uh, after world, after the Cold War ended, uh, Russia became very dependent on Russian, uh, uh, American, Western technology uh, to, to produce their own equipment, not, not just military, but, you know, civilian equipment. And they're finding out that they really cannot uh, build up a sufficient air force. Now, they've not tried to use their, their, they have more aircraft in theater than the Ukrainians do, but they have not used them inside Ukraine because of the anti-aircraft capabilities. Uh, they, they've already, like I mentioned, they already lost some uh, that were hit within, uh, you know, or Russia. They, they got too close, you know, to the, the uh, line, as it were, that was in wind range of the, uh, uh, the Western anti-aircraft units in uh, Ukraine. And they were shot down, so that just reminded them of the disadvantage they're at. Uh, so the Russians are basically uh, running out of options. Uh, they're not going to give up. They can afford to do that, but it's a wasting war. And uh, if they do, eventually, you know, like I say, it's going to hit the uh, the uh, the average Russian, which the Putin has tried to avoid. You know, not not too many uh, drops in the standard of living. But he's got limited resources, and the more he spends in Ukraine, uh, the less he's got to keep the uh, you know the the poverty level low. As it increases, you know, more Russians say, "Hey, you know, this isn't worth the spit." Because Russians are aware, although they're patriotic, this is not World War II. It's not fighting off the uh, the Nazi invasion. It's the Ukrainians fighting off the Russian invasion, and the Russians aren't really used to being the bad guys like this. At least the average Russian is. And Putin is finding out it's not very advantageous for his, his military forces either. Because with that defensive advantage, like I said, with the anti-aircraft weapons, which are, are pouring in, as it were, uh, to Ukraine, they cannot use their aircraft anywhere near uh, Ukraine because they'll get shot down. And there's already been a demonstration of that. So it's a no-win situation for Putin, and it's an eventually win situation for the Ukrainians. Uh, the Ukrainians aren't going to give up because it's their country they're trying to, you know, regain. Uh, the Russians are trying to, well, Putin is trying to maintain his reputation as a, a, uh, a an intelligent, a calculating, and effective leader. Well, so far, you know, he's not scoring very well at all. Austin, what happens to the Wagner's group, uh, group outside Russia? That... Uh, Dan, uh, you know, that column I wrote right after this, uh, uh, right after it occurred, so that would be, what, now getting on, uh, two, uh, two, three weeks ago, or two weeks ago. As I mentioned, the Wagner's forces in Russia. Uh, 
I think this is, I don't have that in the call, but this went through my mind at the time. They're going to keep this in some shape, form, fashion. And they are not going to want who's the plausible deniability. What do they do? Well, nature changes today. Uh, this was where I didn't know whether you know, Bergold is going to live or die or whatever, how they, the organization is going to go. So I'm, it, 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 I was saying, yeah, you know, uh, a Hudson uh, company, still a Wagner mercenary company, we, you change the name, and then uh, Moscow can claim that it's different. And uh, yeah, they're Russians, but they're trainers. That's that's what they claim they are in the Central African Republic, is they're trainers or they're uh, security forces for <clears throat> uh, assisting the CARS uh, uh, government. So, uh, again, I don't think I may just keep it as the name uh, of Wagner, but I, I don't see the Kremlin uh, just uh, removing it or, or, or penalizing the, uh, the, the mercenaries <laughs> that are doing their bidding. Now, it's criminal. A lot of what they're doing is absolutely criminal. But, uh, as a matter of fact, if there's uh, uh, an investigation, <clears throat> you know, I this, oh, damn, at least three months ago, and it was one of the sources was, was MINUSCA, which is the uh, peacekeeping force uh, in, in the Central African Republic. I don't know that it was an official uh, uh, report from MINUSCA. I, I don't believe it was, but it was that there were at least a half dozen Wagner mercenaries that uh, should be charged with crimes against humanity and, you know, rape, murder, torture in uh, the Central African Republic. There may be more than that. As a matter of fact, I have read uh, some Reuters uh, and AFP reports about uh, more war crimes being attributed to Wagner mercenaries, primarily in the Central African, uh, uh, African Republic. Uh, I wanted to add one other thing, since we, the, the Pergosin and Putin really are the, uh, the subject of this strategy talk. That, that first column I wrote, I said, you know, there are losers worldwide, and uh, losers worldwide, too, would be uh, something, could be some of the Wagner uh, mercenary operations uh, in Africa. But Jen's been talking about how uh, Putin is weak. Well, I think this shows him to be a weakened leader. Uh, there, is, there are definitely, there's definitely political fragmentation. How significant, uh, we don't know yet, but we're aware of it. And the Russian people, Russian people are aware of it, that there are very severe uh, disagreements within the defense uh, ministry. And it's not, not all personality based. It's based on uh, one of the things that Pergozin got a lot of traction with politically was talking about not only just the incompetence, but the corruption. And uh, Putin has, has overseen the corruption operation. It's uh, Russians start out corrupt after the end of the Cold uh, War, and if that hasn't changed, then you've seen how the corruption, uh, we've seen how it has uh, undermined the, the uh, ability of the Russian army to defend Russia, you know, with selling uh, good tires, buying bad tires. There was reports on that from last year in the uh, June, July of 2022. That was one of the reasons that so many of their convoys were, were breaking down. 
it wasn't just Ukrainian drones. <laughs> it's, it's that they, they hadn't done basic maintenance on some of their, on uh, 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 many of their vehicles. And they weren't up to uh, a sustained operation of over two or three days. <laughs> they, they, and why? Well, the oil, motor oil got sold. The tires got sold. Uh, the parts got sold. And uh, the, 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 over in what Walker Dozen Scribe says, it's not only was, were my Wagner mercenaries sold out of the defense ministry, not support the supplies uh, that uh, uh, we needed. We're sitting there in Bakhmut taking, taking the cash. It's, uh, you can see this throughout the entirety of the Russian military operation in Ukraine. Yeah, one, one current example. You know, he named, uh, I'm sorry, Jim, go ahead. One current example of that is Russia is raising new units, and it found out it hasn't got enough weapons to uh, you know, arm all the men in the unit. Uh, so some guys, this, this, this goes back to World War II, but some guys are basically, you know, who are not actually in the combat units are going to be unarmed. Uh, and, uh, you know, they're basically told, you know, pick up weapons if you have to, uh, you know, if the situation gets desperate. Well, so far, the Russian units have uh, tended towards encountering, you know, uh, desperate situations. Uh, so it's gotten even more desperate. Uh, they can get uniforms, but they can't get weapons. Uh, they can't get ammunition, uh, but they get, get orders to, you know, keep on fighting. Uh, this does wonders for, you know, uh, sabotaging morale. And it's not the fault of the uh, soldiers or their commanders, but of, you know, the folks back in Moscow, where, where a lot of the stuff is being stolen. I mean, as, as, uh, as Austin points out, the corruption is still there, and it's most harmful uh, back in, uh, in, in Moscow, uh, where, you know, basically uh, money is appropriated, weapons are bought, while the money disappears, the weapons don't appear, and the troops, you know, that are, you can, it's easier to raise troops than to uh, get them uh, weapons. And they're basically told, well, you, you can't get enough weapons for you. Also, you have to go with what, what we can manage uh, to uh, scrape together. Uh, this is not the, uh, the, how should I put it, the uh, situation you would expect in a uh, military force that expects to eventually prevail. Uh, the Ukrainians have some of those problems. They also had corruption. They've managed to deal with it. You know, they're defending their nation. You know, uh, and Zelensky has basically removed a number of uh, senior officials. Well, they did early on. Uh, they, they've basically gotten the message now, you know, for corruption. And uh, he's acting, you know, basically uh, uh, in, the, in, the, in, the, in support of uh, Ukrainian independence. And that gets him a lot of uh, clout, as it were, with the Ukrainians in general. Russian has, Russia has no such you know, uh, support from Putin. It's quite the opposite. You know, things are disappearing. Things aren't showing up. Uh, you know, I, as I say, the, the Ukrainian offensive in, in Russia, in Ukraine, uh, is basically benefiting from the fact that a lot of the Russian troops down there have been down there for too long. They're not getting uh, ammunition. Uh, they're not getting any replacements. And this has been going on for some time. And the fact that they're trying to hold off the, uh, the Ukrainian advances, uh, it doesn't seem to make any difference. So you can see there's a big difference between the Ukrainian war effort and the Russian war effort. Well, that's a good place to, to leave it. Let me, uh, do you have one more well, Let me pick up the one thing, Dan. Let me mention one thing. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is see that's a, Pergozin is a criminal. He's a he's a murderer. But where he gets his political traction in, in Russia is that he's right about what the corruption has done to the Russian war effort, and he's tried to shape it politically that it's not Putin he's after. So maybe that's why he's still alive. Is that it was going after the incompetence of the Ministry of Defense, but as Jim points out, it's systemic, and Putin's overseen it. So Russia lost this one down in a lot of ways. Well, I'm sure in the U.K. there are bookies taking bets on how long uh, it goes and lasts. So we'll be talking about Russia some more in the future. Until next time, we'll see you. Bye. Take care. Bye, guys.